Hey listeners, I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer, and you're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast on a Tuesday. Pastor Ross Anderson joins me for today's topic. And remember, you can find resources to have this conversation with your family, small group, or mentor. Find it all at PursueGod.org. Hey listeners, it's Tuesday. Today we're going to be covering our Shema series week five out of six. Ross, we're almost done. So we've been studying this, this, uh, this ancient prayer for the Israelites. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, Moses taught the, the uh, you know, his people before they entered the promised land. He taught them to, to kind of this pledge of allegiance. And we've been looking at these words in, in Hebrew we, the prayer goes like this, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. We've been kind of breaking down this prayer one word at a time. And today we're going to talk about what, it, what does it mean to love the Lord with your soul? Last week we talked about your heart. The word is lev. Today we're going to talk about your soul. The word in Hebrew for soul is nefesh. And probably, Ross, a lot of our listeners have no idea what that even is talking about. Right, because, well, we think probably the default is your soul. We think of it as a lot of what the heart really is, because we, we saw last week that the heart is the is your inner person, the inner parts of who you are, your mind, will, emotion, and so forth. So people think, well, that that's the soul. That's me, That, that like the soul is that inner part of me. Or... What we've inherited from Greek philosophy and Western civilization is very dependent on the, the Greek philosophers. We, the idea of soul is this part of you that survives death. It's the, it's the non-material aspect, the part of who we are that's other than our body. That's how we think, you, you know, you think about body and soul. That's a phrase we use to reflect the whole, this kind of whole person. But in the Old Testament, the soul is really different than that. It really refers to the whole person. It's not just the part of you that survives death or the part of you that you know goes on into heaven or whatever. The, the Greeks didn't like the body. They, they liked the soul. They, didn't, they thought the body was somehow lesser. The Hebrew concept of the body is that it's a gift from God. The biblical terms, then, people don't have a soul. We are a soul. And so the soul, the nefesh, is this living, breathing, physical being. It's the whole person. It's not just the inner person, but it's the whole person. In any, any language, there's some overlap between words. And so in English, we have a lot of words for our inner reality. We talk about maybe our consciousness or our psyche or whatever. There's some overlap between those words. And the same is true in Hebrew. They have some overlap there, but there's also these big differences. So when I talk about the soul... Um, it's in fact, it becomes sort of a synonym for just saying me. So a good example of this can be found in Psalm 119. It says, let me live so I can praise you. This is the English translation and may your regulations help me. So again, we're reading this in our Bibles and it says, let me live so I can praise you. But literally in Hebrew, it's this, it says, let my nefesh live so it can praise you. So, so the soul, when it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, that's your inner person, with all your soul, that's your whole person. Let my whole person, really essentially is what the prayer is saying, let my whole person, my inner self and my outer self, 
let my whole person praise you. So the soul really it means your your whole life, your whole personality, your whole self, your whole identity, the core you, right? Which I think so now we're starting to talk in terms that that Americans can probably understand. Oh, okay, I understand. This is talking about the real you, the core you. You know, Brian, when you talk about the core you, that's really interesting in light of today's culture because you know, everybody's trying to figure out what that core you is. It's like people just say, oh, I got to find myself or, or like I can reinvent myself. And that's not what Moses is talking about at all in the Bible. It's talking about the person that God made you to be. And so this is who you are. And so it, when he says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, it's not like there's this fluid person that you need to go try to figure out what your soul or what your real true identity really is. Now, certainly that's a real thing in life. We've got, there's a lot of things we need to figure out about ourselves, but the Bible is the, is the reference point that helps us understand that. And so this conversation about the soul is really important way to get an identity that's really rooted and stable in who God says that I am. And so I just wanted to, to throw that in because our culture doesn't really understand that and, and people are out seeking to figure out who they are when really God has told us who we are. Yeah, in fact, maybe today, Ross, as we, as we help our listeners understand what, what does it really mean to love the Lord with my nefesh or my whole person? You know, at, in the Pursue God resources, we like to talk about what we call a full circle follower of Jesus. Like, what does it mean to to be the kind of follower that Jesus is really looking for. And we talk about these three things. So kind of imagine a circle with three arrows. Um, the first the first thing is that God wants us to trust him. That the way we say it is we start a relationship with God by trusting Jesus. And so so to I think to to give your soul to God, your whole person to God starts with trusting him, trusting what he says, trusting his work, like we talked about last week, like coming to him. And really another way to say this is, is Ross, submitting yourself to him rather than listening to what our culture is saying about our identity or our personhood, but really coming to him and saying, well, God, what do you say about it? Yeah, so let's put that into context of the whole Bible, because you have these people, the Deuteronomy is Israel, and they're standing before, uh, ready to go into the promised land, and they belong to God. They had a relationship with God. And Moses is going to tell them how that works. And so how about us? How do we have a relationship with God today? Maybe we're not part of Israel. Um, we're invited into a relationship with God. How does that start for us? And it starts, as you said, when we put our trust in Him. And that means trusting God for our whole life and our eternity. So, so let's kind of connect the dots a little bit and go back to, you know, these, these people that were originally heard the Shema the first time, Israel, you know, God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He brought them to the borders of this land. He's promised them. He's going to give them a homeland, a place where they can thrive. And in, in Deuteronomy, Moses is like giving them a pregame speech. He's setting them up for the game. So he's reminding them who they are, and he's going to go over everything he's taught them so they can go into the promised land and succeed there. But in order to have this kind of relationship with Israel, there was a problem. The people had a problem of sin, and God had to, had to deal with their sin because sin always creates a barrier with a holy God. And so here's how God did that with Israel. 
right after they escaped from Egypt, God set up this whole system of sacrifices. And so that when you sinned, you just you brought an animal sacrifice. Or if you couldn't afford an animal, you brought a sacrifice of grain or something that you did possess uh, to cover that sin, to atone for it for the time being, to allow them to remain in relationship with God who is holy. And that's what's behind all the religious rituals we read about in the Old Testament. So that's what's behind all the priests and the ceremonies and the temple. It was a repetitive process because people kept on sinning. So how do we then, how do we deal with that? How do we enter into relationship with God? How do we have this, this relationship with a holy God when we're sinners? Well, we learn when Jesus comes that all of that system looked forward to him. It found its fulfillment in him. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he paid for our sin once and for all. No more animal sacrifices, no more repetitive rituals, but those who trust in him and what he did then have their sins forgiven, they're right with God. And so that's where we talk about then this idea of trust. Romans 3.22 says that we are made right with God by placing our faith or trusting Jesus Christ. And so this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. So so the point is this again we're trying to connect this to the what does it mean to give my whole person, my inner person, my outer person, my whole being, my true identity, my true self. What does it mean to give my true self to God? Well, first of all it means that you need to trust the the way the only way the, the only provision that God has given us for having a relationship with him, you need to trust that. You need to come to him on, another way to say this, Ross, is you need to come to him, him on his terms, not on your terms. So you're saying, God, you made my whole person. You made me who I am. You made my, you created my soul. And so how do I make my soul right with you? I do it on your terms. What are your terms? You By trusting Jesus, what he did on the cross. Again, we talked about this last week a little bit. When you give your inner your inner person to God, when you trust in him. And some of you maybe last week even did that. So that's the first thing, you know, the first way that you, that you really give your soul to God or, or, or love God with all your soul is by coming to him and saying, okay, I need you to make me right with you. And, and we do this by faith. So Ross, once we do that, that's the first arrow in the circle. Then we move on to the next thing, because giving your whole person to God isn't just about trusting him for your salvation. But then this is what Jesus envisions for us. In fact, God envisioned it in the Old Testament. It's just in the Old Testament, it could never actually happen. What happens is once God changes you from the inside, that inner person is changed. Now what happens is it changes your outer person. It changes the way you live your life. It And the way we articulate this in, this in terms of the circle is we say that now we live to honor God. We're, we're not on the throne of our lives anymore. Giving your whole person over to God means that you honor him in all that you do. Right, and I think it helps us at this point to look at the verses that come after the Shema. So we've read the Shema throughout this whole series, Love the Lord Your God. Etc. Uh, love him with your whole, you know, uh, heart, soul, strength. But the very next verse um, tells us kind of what that looks like in practice. What it actually means to love God with our whole soul. So in verse six, he goes on and says, "And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today." In other words, loving God looks like doing what God says. 
And so we saw that love, you know, when we looked at that word, there's an active element to it. It's not just affection or emotion, but it involves commitment and action. So he's saying that, look, if you're going to love the, the Lord your God with your whole being, then he says, here's, the, here's what that looks like in everyday life. Verse 6 of Deuteronomy 6, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Now, I'd be curious, Brian, what you think about, we, we don't live under that Old Testament law anymore. So, so how, does, how does this translate for us as a New Testament believer? Well, John fourteen fifteen, it says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I mean, those are Jesus's words himself. I think this is where, if we have any longtime Christian listeners, or, or maybe even some skeptics who, who aren't Christians yet because they know too many Christians, you know, they, they know too many quote unquote Christians who say they're believers, but there's no evidence at all in their life of being a believer. In other words, to put it in terms of the circle, they've trusted Jesus for salvation. Maybe they prayed a sinner's prayer like we talked about last week, but it hasn't at all in any way changed their life. There's no, there's no evidence that they've given their whole self, their nefesh, to God. Uh, you know, again, I think w- the way we would tell, the way we would articulate this to people in our church is we would say, Man, I would I would wonder if it was really even genuine. I would wonder if maybe it was just easy believism like we talked about last week, that that maybe you didn't really truly trust Jesus for salvation. Maybe you didn't really come to him on his terms, not on your terms. Maybe you aren't really submitted to him. Because Paul said it like this in Ephesians 2, he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Okay, check. That's the first arrow. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Check. It's not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Check. But but so many people don't go on to verse 10. Verse 10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He, he's created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so it is like God's vision for us as Christians isn't just that we pray some sinner's prayer at church on Sunday. His vision for us is that we love him, that we keep his commandments, that from the inside out, the Holy Spirit, like we said last week, takes up residence on the inner person, but it really does change the way we live on the outside. So so there's a qualitative difference for Christians today you know, what the Old Testament believers, followers of God couldn't do, and they were frustrated because they couldn't do it. We can do it now because loving God with our nefesh means he changes us, like we said last week, from the inside out. And the Holy Spirit moves us to be obedient to his commandments. And here's what that looks like in practice. Well, it starts with what God has said in his word, the Bible. We find out what pleases him. And then we also learn from the Holy Spirit who, who convicts us of sin, and he corrects us from within. And he goes like, you know, like when I'm living a certain way, then the Holy Spirit will be like this alarm bu- buzzer goes off in my soul. It's like, oops, you know, oh, no, don't go. Let the red flashing light, the Holy Spirit provides that for me. Then once I understand what God wants and what he says, what he doesn't want, then I have to adjust my choices and my lifestyle accordingly. Really, everything about us is to give honor. It's not just outward only, like we talked about in the past. Everything about us is to give honor to God, how we think and act and breathe and live and the whole, the whole soul, the whole everything we are um, is to give 
glory to God, and it expresses itself it can, in a million different ways, probably, really, in big ways and in small ways as well. Yeah, Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether we eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that is a nefesh Christian. That is a whole person Christian. So many, so many quote-unquote Christians, I'm not trying to be judgmental here, but all I, all I know is Jesus himself said, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we know you? We did all these things in your name. And Jesus, he's going to say at, at the end times, I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you. So we do know from the Bible that there are going to be a lot of people who are going to be surprised, thinking that they truly are followers of Jesus, and yet they're going to find out at the last day that they really weren't. And so what is that talking about? That's talking about someone who, who gives lip service to God, but they're not giving their whole soul to God, their whole person to God. And again, I'm not, we're not trying to be judgmental here. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not trying to introduce like works righteousness into someone's life. What we are saying is this, that when you give your whole person to God, that means you say, I'm holding nothing back. You know, we, we joke about this, that when you baptize, you know, in our church, when we baptize someone, we immerse them, we dunk them all the way underneath. And that somebody said years ago, somebody said, could I just hold my wallet up out of the water when you dunk me, you know? And obviously, you know, it probably should take your wallet out of your, out of your shorts <laughs> when you get baptized yeah. in the first place. But the visual is interesting because, because it's kind of like saying, I'm, I'm not really going all in, in my faith. I'm going to give him only part of me. I'm like compartmentalizing my life. I'm, I'm, I'll give him my, I'll give him my, I don't know, my, my spirit or some, my, my spirit, the spiritual part of me, the immaterial part of me, but I want to hold on to the financial part of me, or I want to hold on to the uh, relational part of me. I don't want to give up this relationship with somebody, you know, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. I don't want to give that up. That to me, that that's someone who's not really giving his whole nefesh to God. You're not really, you're not really sacrificing your entire being, which is what the nefesh is. You're not you're compartmentalizing your life instead of giving it all to Him. I understand your your hesitancy about becoming you know judgmental or legalistic about this, and I think, but I think, and that's valid. But I think we're living in a culture in Christianity in America today where. Like you said, people don't get this, and we, they really need to understand. We need to kind of like maybe pound on it a little bit so that people understand that it's really talking about every choice, uh, simple, even simple choices, daily behavior, our desires, our motives, our perceptions, our thoughts, how we talk, what we do with our hands, you know, how we utilize our talents, how we react to challenges. And so it's, it's the, it, we're all in. It's about being all in. And now being all in doesn't isn't what makes me saved. It doesn't make me right with God. It's that trust that begins makes me right with God. But there's a disconnect when the rest of our lives we don't live to honor God. It's a disconnect. And maybe there's a some element of non-reality there when we say we trust in God, but we haven't allowed Him to bring about this transformation where um, everything I do, whatever you do, as it says in 1 Corinthians 10, do all to the glory of God. Where we're thinking about, man, what does God want in this situation? Not what I want, but what does God want? And so I think it's important to make that point. We don't want to be legalistic about it, because here's the thing. Loving God with our whole, with our whole soul, our whole being, 
goes way, way beyond the churchy lists. You know, it goes way beyond what what legalistic Christianity has always you know promoted. It can't be measured on a on a on a little to do list because it it encompasses every choice and every thought, and it's a whole heart attitude that underlies how we respond to God. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so we've we've offended now. Actually, not a, not just offended. I could hear some longtime Christians saying, "Yeah, you guys tell them. I can't wait to share this podcast episode with my." with my teenager or with my adult children who who are just giving lip service to God they go to church once a week but they haven't ri- they're not honoring God in their daily choices right i can hear a lot of longtime christians saying this but i'm going to i'm going to now challenge those longtime christians with the last thing right because <laughs> we're talking about going full circle that that you know really loving God with your whole being with your nefesh with your soul means being a full circle follower of Jesus, which, okay, number one means trusting him for salvation. Check. Number two, it means honoring him with your daily choices, that, that you re- it really does change the way you look on the outside. But number three, and this is the one that might convict some of our longtime Christians, number three, it means helping other, others to pursue him. Number three, it means being willing to walk with someone who isn't yet a follower of Jesus, or or who's maybe new in it, and help them to grow, help them to um, help them to develop, help them to understand who Jesus is. And Ross, the reality is, so many Christians in our churches today come to church. They they bring their notebook to church. They take good notes on their the sermon that the pastor gives. They say, great job, pastor. Man, did I learn a lot today? And then they go home and maybe they go to Bible study later in the week and they bring that notebook and they take it. And I don't mean I don't mean to like make fun of people, but I really do think there are a lot of older Christians who do just this, who who have made who have who think that the Christian life just boils down to this. And I think they're missing. They're missing what G, what really drove Jesus. Jesus was missional. It wasn't just about the people who were already in the flock. It wasn't following Jesus. Discipleship is kind of the word we use. True discipleship didn't end at honoring God and taking good notes in Bible study. True discipleship ended in helping other people pursue God. And that means that Jesus is Jesus envisioned that a nefesh follower of Jesus, that a whole being follower of Jesus is going to actually get in the game and help someone who is far from God to come to know God. Yeah, that's a great point. I know that a lot of Christians don't think that way. They think that the epitome, the final, the the finish line is I, I'm honoring God with my character and I'm becoming a better person and, and all the rest. But if we take it back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read the Shema, and the verses that follow the Shema then, we're going to see if we look, we, saw, we looked at verse 6 where he says, keep God's commandments. And then in verse 7 through 9, we're going to see how loving God with your whole soul is not just a private matter. It's not just a relationship between you and God, but it involves other people as well. So he says in verse 7, repeat them, meaning the commandments of God, repeat those commandments again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
And so Moses is telling Israel, if you love God, then you point your children toward him. You tell your family about him and his ways. You make it a seamless part of the fabric of your daily life. So it's not just like, oh, church on Sunday, but it's involved in everything you do from the time you get up until you go to bed. Now, in that world, Israel was not commanded to convert the pagans, but they were commanded to reach the next generation. But since Jesus came, God has opened the doors of faith to everyone, not just the chosen nation of Israel. And so it's fair to apply these verses for us in the New Covenant to apply these verses beyond just the family. And so committing ourselves to love God with our whole self is natural that we would then follow suit with these verses to invite our family, but also our neighbors maybe to commit to him, our co-workers to have a relationship with him, tell our friends so they could know him. And so that's kind of how it takes shape from the old to the new covenant uh, for us. Yeah, Jesus's version of Deuteronomy 6 can be found in Matthew 28. And longtime Christians know what I'm talking about here. It's called the Great Commission. The very last words of Matthew's gospel is that Jesus comes to his disciples, this is the resurrected Christ, and he says to them, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Look, there's the nephesh right there. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands. In other words, help them to be full, whole being followers. Teach them to obey everything. But but look, I want I want our listener, our longtime Christian listeners to really apply this to their lives. What is Jesus saying to his disciples here? He's telling them to look outward. He's telling them that their faith doesn't stop at their own Bible study, but that that to be a nefesh follower of Jesus means that you look outward, you look outside your small group, your Bible study group, your church walls, and you make disciples of all nations, that you have a missional heart, like Jesus has a missional heart. But Ross, I think in American Christianity, it's kind of hard to do that. Again, especially when, when I think of maybe a an older Baptist church, let's say, and again, I'm not I'm not trying to pick on denominations here, but I, I'm just envisioning Ross a church where just faithful, godly grandmas and grandpas and moms and dads who who have just grown up in the church and they love their pastor and church life kind of boils down to just inside the walls of the church. And I think that that grieves the heart of God, Mm -hmm. that God wants us to look outside the walls of the church. Now, maybe that means you you share some of these podcasts with people in your neighborhood or at work or or whatever. Or maybe it does mean that your church that your church tries to get a little to become a little bit more outwardly focused. That you're not just speaking insider language all the time. So maybe part of that is. The church itself needs to think a little bit differently about how they were they've been doing church because because Jesus's commission for his disciples was to go out and make disciples. You know when he said this Ross, he I don't think Peter turned to James and John and said, uh, "I'm going to take Thomas for my Bible study group." You know when he said go make disciples, he's not talking about what we think of it as a discipleship program in modern churches. He's not talking about making smart Christians smarter. Clearly, he's talking about going out and sharing this good news with people who haven't heard it yet, or maybe who haven't heard it well yet. 
you know, in America. There's so many. I think we're we live in a in a nation now that's no longer Christian. We're post Christian. So there's so many people who have never really genuinely heard the good news. We don't have. To, I mean, we should send missionaries to other countries, but now in our own country, I mean, like we've got a lot of people who haven't really ever heard. Yeah, you know that reminds me, Brian, of a story that an experience I had. Uh, some years ago, I was I was at a different church, and I don't need to name you know that anything because it's not a maybe a very positive story I'm going to tell. But we were working really hard as a church to try to become more outward folk, outwardly focused, and we were we were we were trying to make the things that we did on Sunday uh, more accessible and and more friendly toward guests and outsiders, people maybe who are checking church out for the first time or whatever, and trying to create an invitational culture and. And I got some pushback. I got some pushback from the Christians who'd been around a while, you know. And honestly, to, to, they were great people. They loved Jesus, you know. They were, but they had a, their culture that they were wrapped up in. So they said, "Look, well, wait. You're spending all this energy and to, to talking about people who aren't even here yet." I said, "Who's going to take care of us? What about us? Who's going to take care of us?" And um, you know, and there was a core group there that that pushed back hard against our efforts to do exactly what you're talking about. What I wanted to say to them, I tried to say to them was, you know, you're going to thrive. You're going to be at your very best when you have God's heart for people who aren't here yet. God's going to honor that. He's going to use that in your life. And and um, and that then you're going to be better off than you are now. Uh, but that wasn't necessarily heard by everybody. And so, and that's, that, that's why it's really important that we make this point um, today. Really, when Jesus quoted the Shema, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And, and he said, there's a second commandment that's equally important to it. This is Matthew 22. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And I was trying to get, I was trying to encourage my people to say, what does it mean to love your neighbor? You know, mm-hmm. you would want, ab- above all else, it would be, you'd want them to know about Jesus, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's the, that's the connection between the Great Commission from Matthew 28 and the Greatest Commandment from Matthew 22. It's interesting, Ross, that Jesus is, you know, the, the Pharisees are coming to him in Matthew 22, expecting him to answer their question, what's the greatest law in, in all the laws, expecting probably one of the Ten Commandments, and Jesus quotes the Shema first. But then he then he connects it to this really obscure verse in Leviticus. I mean, not obscure to us, but obscure probably to the people at the time. It wasn't like on their top 10 list for sure. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that was a radical thing for Jesus to connect those two things. But the reason he's connecting those two things is because it's so easy in religion to give lip service and to just make it all about you loving God. Oh, I love God. i I go to Bible study, I go to church. My 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 relationship with God is all about me and God. That's it. And Jesus is is really helping us to understand something so profound here is that to love the Lord your God with all your nefesh, with your whole being means that it's not just about you and God. It's about other people as well. And there's the connection to the great commission. That loving God with all your heart eventually then means you love your neighbor as yourself, which means you'll go and try to help them to follow God. You'll invite them in. And again, I want to be fair to our Christian listeners who are who are thinking to themselves, I honestly wouldn't even know how to do that. That is so 
that is not at all a discipline I've ever practiced before. I, I feel like I can't even relate to my neighbors. I don't even, you know, my life is so different from theirs. I wouldn't even know where to start. Well, that's why we've created the Pursue God tools. You know, at PursueGod.org, our whole goal from the very beginning was to was to create some tools to help Christians to have conversations with people who maybe aren't Christians yet, or maybe they are, but they're maybe they just they've got a lot to learn still. So let me just let me just end this episode with just a real practical step that people can take. Go to PursueGod.org and find a topic from PursueGod.org that you feel like could really make an impact on a coworker's life, on a on a neighbor's life, maybe on a family member's life. I'm not talking, it's probably not this topic. It's probably not this topic for someone who's far from God. This is a little bit of a deeper topic. This has got, you know, this is this is for probably more for Christians. But there's so many topics in, in the family page, marriage and parenting, or or maybe some of the some of the stuff about um, prayer or or where is God when it hurts? There's so many topics on there that are great topics that could engage someone who's who's far from God. Find a topic, take that link, and share the link with someone in your life. This is one of the easiest ways to engage someone to to try to love somebody is to say, "Praying for you today. I fa- I ran across this topic, and I thought maybe it would it would be helpful for you. Maybe it's about parenting teens or parenting kids or marriage struggles or whatever." And just send it to them. And all you got to do is this. All you got to do is this, is just say, let me know if you ever want to talk about it. You know, drop drop some of those topics. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like planting a seed that maybe at some future date is going to get watered, either by you or by somebody else. And so for, for our listeners, that's a really simple way to love God with your whole being. To if, if, this, if it really convicted you today to say, yeah, you know what? I don't think I've ever done that third thing. I, I've trusted Jesus for salvation. I'm, I really try to honor him in my life. I'm genuinely a believer. But I don't know if I've ever looked outward and tried to help someone else pursue God. I've, I, don't know if I've, I don't know if that's ever been a part of my, my Christian experience. But I want to challenge you to try that today. Just share a topic with somebody and pray for them and offer to sit down and have a conversation. That, in part, is I think what it means to love God with your whole being, with your nefesh. Hey listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we want to make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit PursueGod.org forward slash donate.